Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. We are thrilled that you're here with us today because we are uh, fangirling Robin McClellan, who is with us today. We cannot wait to talk with her. We can't wait for you to hear her voice and to share all of the incredible things that are happening in Tennessee um, under her leadership as elementary supervisor in Sullivan County. Um, Melissa, welcome. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Lori. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, tell, um, us, tell us about why we have to have Robin on the podcast and why, we, why she's here today. Yeah, so excited. One, you already mentioned so many great things happening in Tennessee that I just keep reading about. Um, two, because way back when we had TNTP partners on um, our podcast, they specifically called out Robin as super amazing and doing such great work around literacy in Tennessee. And then lastly, because I, if you don't follow her on Twitter, you definitely should because she is so funny um, and has great memes for everybody. So, yeah, that, those are the reasons. <laughs> True. And I love that, um, you know, I, I think that I think of Robin as um, a high-quality curriculum cheerleader on Twitter. And I yeah. love how she um, supports the interaction with her teachers and just supports them in um, taking chances and highlighting their successes mm-hmm. on, like, on Twitter, but just in the classroom as well. So it's so exciting to see all the things that are happening in Sullivan County, Tennessee. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Hi, so Robin. much. So honored to be here. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so tell us about yourself. All, what, you know, where did you come from? What did you do? What led you here? Um, why high-quality curriculum? <laughs> why are you a cheerleader? <laughs> sure. So uh, I grew up in Bristol, Tennessee, here in Sullivan County. And uh, for college, my, my parents moved to Pennsylvania, so I actually went to Penn State University for my undergrad. Pennsylvania, uh, where I'm from. I know. That's right. <laughs> I love PA. Lots of family and friends up there still. <laughs> friends who are family. Uh, Nittany Lion through and through. And um, so got my first teaching job back in Sullivan County, moved back here where, where most of my family is located, and uh, taught for nine years, first, second, and third grade. Then I was a principal at Emmett Elementary for 10 years, and I am now in year, beginning year six as an elementary supervisor. And um, the journey began when we started doing some instructional walkthroughs using that IPG practice guide that Achieve the Core put out. And, you know, I'm a champion for my teachers, and I know they, they are amazing and work hard, and they are better teachers than I ever was. But um, when we did the instructional practice guide and looked at, you know, the dream vision for literacy instruction, we were falling short. And it wasn't because the teachers weren't um, working hard and planning lots and coming and, and giving everything they had every day, but it's because we were, I always use the analogy, we were building a house, but we didn't have any, any footers poured on the, on the structure. So that's when we had to step back and really look at what were the Yeah, um, that. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like that. I mean, that is the story kind of everywhere. Um, 
<laughs> I feel like that is, that's what's happening. Um, so from there, you guys actually adopted CKLA. Is that right? That's right. We uh, brought 24 pilot teachers together, and we laid out three different high-quality curricula. High-quality is defined by ed reports, of course. Um, and we basically just picked through it, and I wanted to hear what teachers thought about it. And so first, they thought just about maybe going with the knowledge strand of CKLA because that was mm -hmm. what was recommended if we were just taking off such a, a bite of some radically different instruction um, and, and, and a cohesive curriculum. But my teacher said, we want to go all in. Our phonics instruction is willy-nilly. Everybody makes fun of mm -hmm. me that I say that. But, you know, <laughs> phonics great. instruction, it was so <laughs> fragmented. And when I taught phonics, I used a cassette tape and a Dollar Tree net workbook. So it's like, <laughs> they're like, our kids deserve better. Let's go all in. And so they had two weeks to have those materials in their hands that we hand-copied because we didn't have money in our district, um, allocated for any of that. And so uh, my little 84-year-old secretary and me and, and a lady who at the copy center that works for us, we, we started copying. And so teachers had um, Xerox copies of free downloadable CKLA materials two weeks, and then they were in classrooms teaching using those materials. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and. You said you had 24 pilot teachers. I feel like our TNTP um, friends called them game changers. Is that right? That is, we call them the game changers, and it came from one of them. Because in our first time together looking at the materials, TNTP was with us. And one of my teachers who was really resistant at first, she perked up her head and she said, this could really change the game for kids. And I said, you know, I'm a drama queen. So I'm like, you all are now known as the game changers. And so, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they all but have tattoos of that because they <laughs> have changed the game for not only the children in their classroom, but the other 140 teachers in our district by the capacity that has been built in them. Now they're, they've, they've been spreading that over three years. That's amazing. That is amazing. I love that you um, nicknamed them and, and gave them a little um, like sense of belonging together. That's really cool. What they when, were the, so when they were oh sorry go ahead. Now I was just going to say they they were the ones boots on the ground taking on something radically different for kids and I I would honor them until my dying day. Aww. Yep. So I'm wondering what you learned from them because I think that's something that I mean we did not do that here in Baltimore we started with everybody with wit and wisdom um, through the whole district so I think it was. Um, I know I wish we kind of did something like that where you could learn from a smaller group first. So I'm wondering what you, what, what were the challenges for them? What, what learnings did you learn from them that you were able to bring to the rest of the district before adopting district-wide? In our district, there, there is only me and one instructional coach, Christy Nelson, and the two of us partnered together. But we brought in some principals who were um, early childhood um, background people also. They had taught K-1 and 2. So that was our whole tribe of people who were trying to, to do this work and make this transition. And so in the beginning, like I, I talk a lot about, it was messy. It was organic. Um, after seven years of therapy, I always joke, I really have been in therapy that long, but I always joke that <laughs> I finally embrace imperfection. Like I realize life is messy. I'm messy education is messy. So we just told them from the beginning, you're safe. 
we love you. We've got to do something different for kids. And so they would just go out and they would grapple, but then they would, we would send out surveys and they would say, hey, this is a problem. Hey, we're worried about teaching Dolch lists. Um, mm. Hey, we're worried about the amount of time children are reading silently in class. So then every month we would get back together with those game changers um, during a full day and we would hash out those problems of practice and then we would have some new learning and then we would unit and lesson prep and then they would go back out and do it all over again. And so because of that, man, let me tell you, they have, they, it took till Christmas till they, they realized I wasn't like the devil and um, <laughs> they, I'm teasing. We do trust each other, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was just, it was so radically different. It was hard, you know, in the beginning, but now they all have been able to share the message for the last three years. They would never go back because they have thousands of samples of what kids can do that shows, number one, they will rise to any expectation if given opportunity. And two, um, you know, there's so much more than a number. So not only are our numbers now following the work, but we have this qualitative picture of voices and, and work and parent perspective that's so rich and that just validates all we've been doing. And I see them on Twitter all the time. So, yeah, I know it's And they, they do love and trust you. We see it. So, Robin, when they got together, uh, when you all got together, what happened at those those meetings or at those planning sessions? So, you know, I'm an old elementary teacher, so we always have to have chart paper and markers. And that's not a sit down. <laughs> it's a compliment. Is that true or false, ladies? Absolutely. Okay. There you go. And maybe so some post-its. Uh, oh, I was going to say maybe also some, like, candy bars or something. <laughs> you know what? I know you're going to think I'm lying, but I was just thinking chocolate. You ask my people, I always have chocolate. Um, but we, we would get together. And so TNTP was a total partner with us the whole way. Like, none of this would happen without their strategy, their support, their learning. I knew nothing about um and, you know, I knew nothing about instructional materials before this except just a box that sits on my wall. Um, I knew nothing about the two, you know, the two strands of science of reading. Um, I had seen the Scarborough rope but couldn't really own what it was teaching me. All this to, to say, starting from the ground up, so we were learning science of reading as we were implementing high-quality materials. So we would bring them together and we would say, okay, let's hash out problems of practice. So they would jot their question, and then they would break into small groups. And then Kate Glover, who is our TNTP um, contact person, case project manager, she would, she would, like, talk us through, if this is the question, like, do kids really need 30 or to 45 minutes of sustained silent reading every day? Well, they, the teachers would talk it out a little, but then Kate would provide us with the research and the understanding of, number one, how can we embed some of that silent reading within the CKLA studies? And they do read in CKLA, but, um, and then also, like, why do they not need that much silent sustained reading time? Those kinds of things. So, like, Kate brought so much background knowledge about literacy to us, but then we would pose it back to teachers, and then they would get messy with it. So, we, it was literally just, like, work session for eight hours, and um, the new learning might, like, right now our new learning would be, when, when we bring them together, it's around, with skills instruction, are we explicitly teaching the skill? Are we practicing the skill out of context? And then are we applying the skill in context? Right now, all of our elementary leaders are working with teachers for, to make sure our phonics instruction follows that path. That is the path of CKLA. Mm -hmm. And then for listening mm -hmm. and learning, we are looking at what questions are we asking? Are we building the dream response for kids? 
And then are we providing scaffolds so that we push kids to get to that great right is right answer? So those are the two strands, and that's our work, and it's informed by Kate and carried out by Christy and me and the leaders and the teachers. So it's, it's, it's going to be a work in progress the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love that. Um, we're, and then your professional learning is all connected to that, right? Like it's all intertwined in the content and what you do in those sessions um, then informs your professional learning, correct? Everything that we're doing with teachers is grounded in curriculum and instructional materials and their voice, which is the way to go. Research approved. Great job, Robin. <laughs> I'm working on it. Achieve the Core is teaching me a lot, too, about that. They're pretty great. <laughs> yes, they are. I'm trying to actually pull up. Um, I, know I, can, I know I can get it before we move on. Um, effective Teacher Professional Development. It is um, an article by Linda Darling-Hammond, Maria Heiler, Madeline Gardner, and with assistance from Danny Espinoza. Um, it was published in June 2017. Um, it's a pretty lengthy uh, document, and um, it's from the Learning Policy Institute for Effective Teacher Professional Development, and um, it's about, I don't know, 70 or so pages, but I'll tell you what it says. It says everything should be grounded in curriculum. <laughs> teacher professional development should be grounded in curriculum. So um, you're spot on. Good job, Robin. <laughs> you know, and core, core advocates, I've just been talking to them a little bit, um, Achieve the Core, and I just, we had a podcast this past week, and I just had two slides, it was actually a webinar, but um, it was the same three things, Melissa and Lori, mm -hmm. it was professional learning is teacher and student centered, it's instructionally relevant and actionable, and it's content focused, and so it's exactly, it's just all the same tenets, and we, we bring them together, and we spiral the learning, and we trust each other, and we can tell the truth, and the no shame zone that's very real, um, it, it all weaves together into a great picture. Yeah, yeah. I've got to tell you guys, I am, I am grappling with this right now here in Baltimore, where I feel like we are doing a lot of literacy work, but it's really not focused very much on literacy. It stays in this general, like, becoming a better teacher, general instruction, you know, strategies. So that one tenet for me is like being content focused, which is also, I think, curriculum focused as well, um, mm -hmm. is really huge. And we, we forget it sometimes. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. Like, why, why is that happening, do you think, Melissa? I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a, good, it's a really good question. But it, clearly it's a thing because people are talking about it, right? Um, I think, I think there's, you know, I think a lot of leadership stays there because they are working with different content areas, and I don't know that we have too many people digging into. I mean, Core, core Advocates does, right? So they actually do give specific, like, how is your professional learning or your pre preparation and planning different for literacy than it is for a math lesson? And it is different, but I don't know that we're always looking at those differences. Mm. That's smart. Do you guys yeah, I mean, do anything about that, Robin? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've just been able to bite off the literacy piece of the elephant <laughs> the last four years. But I'm learning. So we, we, we're starting to use the math instructional guides to go through and start to – I'm going to have to learn practices just like I had to learn literacy from scratch. So mm -hmm. we are starting to tiptoe in. But you know what's so funny just talking about math is – 
Um, I, I, when I would go into classrooms, my teachers would say, is there anything strong like this for math instruction? I'm like, why, yes, there is. Just like this grassroots uh, movement has started, and my teachers started saying, hey, we want to pilot Engage New York slash slash whoever the publishers, you know, are. But, um, and so I said, let's, let's get some materials in your hands and just try it this year. And so now they're all starting to surface with videos and, and YouTube videos for kids and, and sending me samples of student work. So it's like once teachers know the beauty of high-quality materials, now they're hungry for more because they know that they do not need to be writing curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so what are they seeing, Robin? What are they seeing in their classrooms? Can you bring that can you bring us into your classroom to get a glimpse of what they're seeing that's making them um, be believers in this? Sure. So, um, uh, you know, what, how they can hear children, the beauty of, of strong curriculum with, as far as CKLA goes, and I, I'm really curriculum agnostic. I just want whatever's right for kids in their, in their hands. Mm-hmm. But in our case, the, what, the most beautiful part has been what children can, can know, apply, say, speak, um, like today, I, I tweeted about this. I went to a first grade classroom, and the children were just so hungry to talk to me about all of this content knowledge they had learned, and they were actually applying things they had learned in kindergarten. The first, they were talking about deciduous and coniferous trees, and I was like, can you teach me about that? Can you slow down? I don't really remember all that stuff. And then we're talking about... Um, uh, endangered species, and they wanted me to see the bald eagle that has a camera strapped to its back so that they were showing me the Arctic tundra, and, oh, my gosh, they have, want to protect their eggs because there are predators out there, and their eggs are actually the prey. And let us tell you, let me tell you about buzzards who are actually scavengers because, and on and on and on. And so then they would not let me leave until they showed me one of the six-year-olds had written a play about Ruby Bridges, and she was the director, a six-year-old, telling all the children <laughs> where to stand and stage the play. And the children were acting out where she was in a schoolroom by herself with a teacher because all of the families that were not of color had moved their children out of that classroom. So my six-year-olds are understanding um, not only civil rights, but just, just to think about. So, so one of the things teachers talk about all the time is I cannot believe what children are able to know and be able to do once they have this strong, aligned K-5 curriculum. So um, one of my principals is a an old U.S. history teacher, and he said, Robin, I cannot believe what these kids can talk about. My students in U.S. history um, didn't come with any kind of this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I think always shocks me when I'm in classrooms, like to, to echo that, is that um, – Kids are, they're just so excited. They're so motivated, but they feel like when they're learning about um, his, like history in particular, it's, it's like a story that has come together for them. And, and I love hearing them retell it like a story because they, they really are internalizing it and um, just really deeply understanding it. And it's just so exciting. And I, I know that they're like talking about it. And then, you know, that, that talking transfers to writing. So I'm sure that you've seen, um, I've seen it on Twitter, so I'm prompting you. But I've, I'm sure that you've seen some writing <laughs> stuff happening um, in your in your schools where they are just blowing through the roof. 
I, you know, it, it, I see it all the time, and I take pictures of it all the time because those are the things that keep me going. But, you know, yet, yesterday, uh, Christy Nelson texted me two pictures of writing samples, and one was a sample from a student with special needs, and that child had applied so much vocabulary into the writing prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that, that That's why I talk about equity all the time is that, you know, we have to afford all children the opportunity to, to have this instruction and this opportunity to apply what they've learned into their writing and their speaking. So um, constantly I'm looking at, and, but the expectation is our kids use the vocabulary they've learned to embed into their writing. So our teachers set the stage and model, but the children are the ones who apply it, and you can tell that because their writing samples are all different. No longer are we doing this shared modeled writing, and the kids are just copying it down. I mean, it's just... Mm-hmm. There, and when children can write what they know, it's a whole different level, as you all know, than just being able yeah. to speak it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I was it I have hard for your teachers? What, what, sorry to interrupt you. Um, was it hard for your teachers to transition from that, um, from that idea of, you know, writing using um, a specific acronym, and everybody's writing looks the same because we're all responding in the same way, although we might all be using a different um, set of text evidence or something of the sort was can you tell us a little about that transition for your teachers um i think that we're still in the middle of the transition so we know we know what kids are able to do but i think our teachers are actually wanting to embed more opportunities to write but they i think that they think that we need more structure and maybe some more cognitive mapping so that we can have the same the same language of um how to plan for your story so that, you know, children can brainstorm and have their own thoughts and have their own structures and then arrive. So there's still pieces that we have to polish. But as far as us feeding children too much and putting too much on the board to prompt and lead and just releasing them to think and apply, the teachers have to know that they have to have those opportunities in small groups and one-on-one to coach the kids up. And these are the things that you can do to improve or polish your work. But when I taught first grade, like, I had a calendar with pumpkins on it, and on day October 1st, it would say, write, you are a pumpkin seed. And on day, October 2nd, it would say, you know, um, you're a witch and your hat came off. I mean, it was, like, the most ridiculous, <laughs> low-level thing. I don't know. You are. No. Robin, stuff. I taught, so I taught second, um, and then I taught some, you know, middle area grades, and then I taught high school. Um, and same, same thing when I taught second grade. It was like, pretend like uh, you have magical powers and write about your magical powers. And, you know, then you would get extensive writing from the kids who could write a lot and the kids who didn't yeah. continue to not write a lot. And there were not really original ideas. Um, and it was all very disconnected to what we were doing. And now... So I'm, I'm, I'm listen, all. I'm in shame with you. <laughs> okay, good. Well, it's it's yeah. good to have a, sh- a no-shame family. Yeah, we're in it together. <laughs> we know better, but now we're better. That's right. And our second graders now, when you walk down the hallway, they're telling you why the colonists should go to war against Great Britain because um, <laughs> they're they're taxing them unfairly. And so it's just like they know so much more than I do. And as I read the domain, you know, I've had to dig in and really understand it to be able to support it. And when I read the War of 1812 domain in second grade, like all I knew about that war was that it was in 1812. And so <laughs> my second, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Remember, no shame. So my, my I, second I don't know that I can say much more either. 
<laughs> there <know>. you go. <laughs> the, just what, what the opportunities kids have are just going to set them on a huge, huge path for knowing more and being kinder and and contributing to the world than than any students I've ever known. Awesome. Uh, so good. Well, I'm gonna yep. uh, I'm gonna have to give you the um, the number for the county where my little one goes to school because um, <laughs> they're still they're still doing writing prompts like that, Robin, and they're also um, doing like reading calendars where it's like um, read a book after each page, get up and do 15 jumping jacks, and then like then I would sign off that she did that, and um, it makes me want to cringe inside, but you know as so I'm just saying we're not alone. There are still people who are out there who are, are, are learning and having opportunities to learn. So, like, you're just spreading the good word, and, and we're, uh, we're loving that you're doing that. And we talked about this another time earlier, Lori, but we said once you know better, you know, we all say know better, do better. I think that was my yep. Angela that said that originally. But if we know better and we don't do better, that's when we really have a moral imperative to step up. And that, that's where I have to rub not in not knowing and not in doing things wrong when we didn't know, but now that we know, uh, it's time for a revival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like to, um, I, I came up with a really catchy little name for it, um, and I don't remember what it was now. It was like curricul- for a curriculum renaissance. Um, but I just think it's like the time is now, and there's so much um, momentum behind it, you know, happening right now, especially um, on Twitter and of course, on our podcast and in, in our school, most importantly, in our school districts and, and in our schools, um, so that you're, you're seeing all of that, so that kids are not getting up after they read five pages and doing five jumping jacks for whatever reason or um, writing about if they had magical, mythical powers and were a unicorn um, randomly disconnected to whatever they were reading. So we are, we are, we are doing better. And <laughs> you are right, though. That is, that is the place where we would want to... Uh, to take a pause if we knew better and we did not do better. That's right. Robin, I'm really, I'm glad you said that, like, you're still in this transition because I think sometimes people think, like, we adopt a curriculum and then everything's better, right? Everything's just easy and it's great. Um, but I'm glad you said, like, there's, there's still things that are, you know, people are struggling with and need to need to change from old practice to the, to this new practice. I'm wondering if you have any examples of, like, things that, maybe teachers are having a hard time changing from the way they used to do it to, to this new way? I do. That's such um, a good question. <laughs> it is. A, it's a great question. And, and if we're real, we're always trying to be, you know, growing and a work in progress. I always hashtag work in progress because sometimes I feel like I'm such a mess. But, um, yeah, a couple examples. Like now when our principals do literacy walkthroughs, they're not at all punitive. They're just like trying to learn and see, uh, what the classroom instruction looks like, and then they they talk to teachers with a quick turnaround about what what do I think is your one next best step. So it's so much more digestible to be able to think about one next best step of how to add value mm-hmm. rather than oh I'm the queen of the world principal and I'm going to come tell you six things on this very vague rubric. You know. <laughs> uh, so the things that they're talking about now, like I said, are like um, I, we'll go walk into a classroom and a teacher is feeding the children too many um, answers and hints to get to this dream destination. So rather than the kids taking on the cognitive lift, the teacher is scaffolding so much that they don't even need to have to take big steps. So the principal (laughs) might say, hey, down the hall, um, 
Susan is doing a great job at really putting that prompt out there and releasing kids to do the thinking and making them expand on each other's answers and prompting them without giving them. And so that might be, that's the next best step for a lot of our teachers. Some of our mm-hmm. teachers um, have to just step back and go back and, and prep stronger and harder and better so that they know how this skills lesson progresses into release of, of applying that skill. Um, so it's, you know, whatever the one next best step is, is what we work with. But they're, they're like, just like children all learn differently and at different paces, but we have to have high expectations for all. It's the same with teachers. So teachers will, and they'll come to us and say, hey, I'm having this, this difficulty figuring out how to support kids through scaffolded questions. And we're like, all right, let's sit down and look at the big understanding that they need to walk away with and let's just build some supports. You know, let's just talk it through. So when you create a no-shame zone where teachers feel safe and we're all in it for kids, um, it's just a whole different learning trajectory for everybody, I think. So we just mm-hmm. all admit we're work in progress. Yeah. Well, we love that. We, You know, we also align with that. Um, when um, I was in Baltimore and, and Melissa and I would um, support teachers, it was, you know, very much the same thing. And I think uh, in terms of... Um, letting students go to do the work. Um, and I think it's really hard to do because teachers want students to feel successful because, you know, then they feel successful and everybody feels really good when you get the answer or, you know, when you can do the work. Um, but, you know, remembering that the learning happens in that productive struggle and the learning happens in that messy area that you keep talking about, um, you know, the the mess is where we learn uh, when you think of any good thing that you've learned in the past. So I, um, I love that you're using uh, le- that your idea is to use, you know, teachers down the hall who are doing it well to leverage that um, and to really show them how to, uh, how to do that in a, in a way that steps them outside of their classroom um, and gets them to, to be with someone else who is um, doing it well, who can talk them through it. So we love that idea for a, really tangible tip and strategy that folks could take away from this. And teachers are so thankful for the support that then they'll come back to the principal and say, hey, I want you to come check this out. I've been working on this skill. Um, Let me know what you think. I saw that um, Susan did this, this, and this, and so I'm applying it. And so then like the follow-up is great, too, so that things just don't get lost. Um, Mm. That's a good point. And it also speaks to how, like, the safe environment that you've created that they want to. Yep. They want to have teachers or, or leaders pop back in to see what they've been, how much they've been improving. That's amazing. Yeah, I think somebody told me, a professor of mine once told me about, you know, being physically safe is important, but also being psychologically safe is important. Mm-hmm. So um, in a classroom, you have to have both. And so if, if kids and teachers don't feel like you know, they can be safe to be learners, then, then I don't, I think it's just going to be a, a, a zone of fear and we don't want that. Yeah. Oh my God. Robin, I'm wondering too, um, I, I need you to tell me a little bit exactly what's happening in Tennessee. Cause I just feel like I read a lot of articles, yeah. see a lot of tweets and I'm like, things are happening in Tennessee. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering if that adds to this feeling at all too, of like, yeah, like in the whole state, we're trying to figure this out and we're all learning together. Um, that may not be the case, so feel free to tell me if that's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the case. So 
so SCORE, which is the State Collaborative on Reforming Education in Tennessee, SCORE brought these, these, I don't know if it's 12 or 13 districts together, and they called them the LIFT districts, Leading Innovation for Tennessee. And so now we have this tribe of district leaders who are doing this work and then going back and getting messy and working with our teachers and then coming back together to collaborate. So for the last four years, I've had this this amazing support of professionals across Tennessee, and, and we text and we call and we Zoom and just connect and talk about these problems and how to support each other and share, and then we go back out and do the work. So now lots of other districts in Tennessee have seen our tweets, have heard the stories, have read the blogs, and it's not at all to highlight us in any way, if nothing, it's to deflect on the teachers and the kids. But so now that the, it's spreading like wildfire, like we can see now what kids can do because you've proven it through surveys and student writing samples and data. And so they've been visiting and asking questions and emailing, and we've been presenting it at, you know, the Tennessee League Conference. So now Tennessee is at a point, it's like the boiling point you guys talked about. Mm-hmm. Like now the iron is hot, we're ready to strike. So mm-hmm. um the legislators have been talking a lot to educators, and and yesterday Tim Shanahan and uh, David Levin and Meredith Levin and a lot of people were on the phone, like having this conference call, saying, "What are the next steps for Tennessee? Because we're serious about it, and we're going to take action." And the legislators are in session now, looking at this literacy bill that would impact lots of different um, stakeholders, to include uh, higher ed. We're talking about yeah. money. Yes. Yes. We can use money. I've been making paper copies for four years. (laughs) Uh, Well, so do you think that, like, Tennessee State Board of Ed or would would talk to us? Or I I think that that's an amazing stride that, you know, is happening um, in several other places across the nation, but not nearly as widespread as it needs to be. I do you want to ask him for us, Robin? Ask him if they'll talk to us? I can connect you in, in one email and we'll beg and just say <laughs> we've got to try to add we've got to try to learn from our mistakes and add value to the world and learn from others and be connected. So we, we can make that happen. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be so amazing. I, I would love to hear from a state um board of ed who is, is considering making these changes. And then what I've heard in other places is that funding is being tied to them. Is that happening in Tennessee or not yet? They're talking about, yes, so they're talking about funding through this legislation. They're talking about funding training for teachers in explicit phonics instruction. They're talking about supporting districts with K-2 literacy materials at no cost that are based on science of reading. They're talking about bringing in strategists like TNTP partners to help get this work done and done well and implemented well. Um, They're talking about, I'm trying to think, and so they're talking about partnering with EPPs as well, um, the higher ed, so that we can all be at the table because we all want to do what's right, but it's like we haven't been at the table really uh, looking at what we know is is the science, which I know everybody's kind of throwing that word around, but... um, what we know about the science and how we're going to get that translate to, to Tennessee kids reading. Yeah. I feel like we all might have been at the table, but we're all, not, we all were never on the same page. And finally we have, um, you know, this wave of information that's kind of always been there, but that we, you know, had kind of been diverted our attention from. And it's exciting to be in this place. 
Mm-hmm. It's so exciting. Isn't it the best work you all have ever done to think about advocating for kids to to just be like such contributors to the world and to be able to read and not just a few kids reading, but, you know, I, I, I presented in front of the legislators once at the, the House of Ed Committee. I don't know how I get myself into these messes. And, you know, I tell them, <laughs> I talk to them. I talk to them just like I do you all. Like, I'll tell them I've been to therapy. It doesn't matter. But I was just standing before them, and I said, yeah, you all talk about, you know, 30% 30 of your kids on track and mastered. But I said, I'm looking at their faces, and I'm looking at 20 kids lined up across a wall, and I'm going to tell these 14, I'm sorry that you're never going to read on grade level, but these six, you're the lucky six, and you're going to be able to read and be able to tackle text and be able to read Mm -hmm. a CTE manual or read a college textbook, and I, when I looked at the legislators, I'm, they, want, they want our Tennessee children reading as well, but when you make it tangible, like I'm looking at their faces, and I'm looking at their freckles, and I'm looking at their, you know, their beautiful spirits, I'm going to go fight for those kids, and, and so they, yeah. our legislators are realizing we're at this moment, and, and they've got to do something. Yeah. Well, and it's, it, I, I love that. And it's, it's more than just the kids, right? Because as you were describing it, I was picturing their families, you know, behind them. Like, think of how the domino just drops and the effect that it has, the ripple effect that it has when, when we can say, like, we are going to make sure that every child is receiving systematic phonics um, to address part of Scarborough's rope and then also high-quality knowledge building curricula to address the other part of the rope. Like the power in in what you are doing and you know what what it sounds like Tennessee is doing is is immense. We can't wait to hear what happens from here. Will you keep us updated as you go? I will. I will keep you updated. <laughs> it's it's exciting time right now. Is that um you had mentioned uh you are doing a presentation in Nashville. Is that what is happening there? Yes, so SCORE um, is, is convening and having a literacy summit, and so they've asked um, the districts who have been implementing, uh, I believe, three different curricula. So I think it's Wit and Wisdom, EL, and CKLA. We're going to be doing afternoon breakout sessions so that other districts who want to know more about that curriculum and implementation and look at the proof in the pudding and the student work, they're going to be able to come mm-hmm. and hear from the districts that have been doing it for three or four years. But the morning is, drum roll, Natalie Wexler. Ooh, she will be there, our too. Our favorite. Oh, uh, no. No, I'm going to say this. She's a second. Hey, Listen, I have, have my, my, I have my wild about Robin McClellan shirt on right now. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I'm going to be sending you a Robin McClellan T-shirt. No, I'm just yes. Oh, <laughs> Robin, no, Robin, we got oh, you. That's what. Listen, that's what one of my friends used to sing. But I, I hope you do know that I really don't think highly of myself. I just love being in the work. So just so you know, but Natalie Wexler is going to be there in the morning, and then we'll we'll have some breakout sessions. So SCORE has been a, a tremendous lever in uh, bringing us to the table and accomplishing these things. And we know we have not arrived, um, but we're excited that we're on the journey, and, and, and we're we're far from the beginning of it. So we're excited. Yeah, but that speaks volumes that they are bringing Natalie Wexler in because it just shows that their mindset mm-hmm. is also grounded in, you know, the science of reading and the fact that they need knowledge building uh, curricula. Um, I always think it's, it's really telling um, and a little bit scary if I'm, you know, in, in a school district and in a space and I, I ask, like, you know, who is, 
has anyone heard of Natalie Wexler? And um, nobody raises their hand or, you know, even looks like they have a glimmer of, um, yeah, I know who she is. Um, and then, you know, oh, have you heard of Ed Reports? And it's like cricket. Um, and I, I always encourage folks, like, you're, you know, this is a huge new, um, well, not new, but it's a huge um, myth if you're adopting curriculum and you're not looking at Ed Reports or you're not reading Natalie Wexler's work. Um, you know, so it, it's very telling that Tennessee is doing that at the, at the state level. We have, um, we do have a commissioner and a materials assistant uh, commissioner, Lisa Coons, and of course Penny Schwinn is our commissioner. But they they are deep in the work. They know the two strands of of literacy instruction. They know Scarborough Rope. They are working with legislators to help get them informed about science of reading, and they are setting the bar high for districts to adopt high quality curriculum and to implement it right and well. That's exciting. So when they, um, for implementation, they're thinking about professional, and I'm, I'm just asking, are they thinking about professional development connected to the curriculum um, and then also like implementation supports, like, you know, job embedded coaching or coaching for leaders? Do you, do you have any idea of, of any of that? Because I think that that's really like the adoption is the first step. It's all the special stuff that happens after that is, is really exciting. That's right. And so we've gone through adoption, of course, all these years in Tennessee, but until now, it's been, you know, August, we come back, we're going to shoot a fire hose water system down your throat of all the um, <laughs> curricular options. You know, I've lived through uh-huh. like probably six different adoptions. This is different because, you know, one, the, the, the series you adopt will have the people who come in and do the training and support, but the state is putting in place um continued support through this partner with like a TNTP or an instruction partners or like with the strategy. So that's where implementation can fall on its face is if you don't have a strategy and you bring teachers back together continually and spiraled and with their grade alike, content alike peers, you know, that whole triangle of high quality professional learning. Um, So the state is going to, you know, they're working to provide funding for districts to have not only that, um, that, instructional partner strategist, but then also um, the content, the curriculum content partner. So, yeah, I think, you know, and they, they're bringing districts together to, to talk about this and support each other and um, to continue the, the collaboration that's been started through SCORE. That's exciting. Well, Robin, would you come back on and um, keep us posted in a couple months and share, share about where Tennessee stands in all of this? I think it would be great to do an update, and um, I am walking in faith that we're going to move in the right direction. And if you know, um, I just I just think the momentum is is there. And I know I probably talked too much, but I, when I was talking to legislators, I said it's kind of like at Christmas when you're making caramel, and if you pull it off too early, it's all clumpy, and then if you leave it off too long, <laughs> it's burned. But if you take it off just at the right moment, you're going to be tasting some heaven. I said right mm-hmm. now is just the right moment to make yeah. major change for kids in Tennessee. So my my, my prayer and my dream is that um, this, this takes off and, and gets going and is supported. Uh, I, I, think okay. that, I think that our new, um, my, that's my new favorite story to tell about the caramel. I, I love that, Robin. <laughs> 
Well, see, I can't cook. Like, I don't, I can't even cook chicken noodle soup. So when I when I have an allergy about food, it's really, it's kind of a big lie. But anyway, I do make it okay. on Christmas. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, it was it was amazing talking with you today. Um, we I, is there any piece of advice that you would like to leave? Um, we always ask everybody at the end of every podcast if they'd like to leave a piece of advice for our listeners who range from teachers to leaders to um, my dad to Melissa. <laughs> Melissa, your, uh, your aunt is listening. I saw it on um, Facebook the other day. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yes. um, so if you'd like to leave any piece of advice for our listeners, we would yeah. love for uh, them to hear your wisdom. Well, I do have a piece of advice, and hi, Dad, and hi, Aunt. I'm sure my aunt will be eventually fangirling me, which I just found out is a verb that I learned about, but, um, and which I am fangirling you too, and I'm so thankful for the value you're adding to this world. So you you deserve a big yeah. shout-out. But um, I, oh, think, I think my favorite quote is by Brene Brown, and I don't know the quote by heart, but it's just all about being in the arena and mm-hmm. that you can't be courageous but be afraid at the same time. So it's like get in the arena and put on your boxing gloves and fight for something and advocate for something. Or if not, if you're like, I'm not going to live my life sitting on the sidelines. So um, it does take uh, the ability to, to have a shield and to be able to take some fiery darts. But my director of school, David Cox, he's so wise, and he always says, Whenever you're settled for mediocrity, there are, there's not going to be a lot of ripple. But anytime you're really trying to do something right for kids, you may be under uh, the arrows sometimes. But um, I'm ready because, you know, they're worth it. And it's, I like a challenge. Bring it on. I'm going to be in the arena. <laughs> that is so great. I love, I love Brene Brown. <laughs> Thank Thank you. you know what, Robin? You, you sound like her a little bit. So I feel like <laughs> that was a perfect, perfect quote to end with. That was right, and and <laughs> I feel confident that then, like when we uh, obviously we're going to keep in touch after this, um, but because now we have your contact information, and you know, because you've listened to previous episodes, that we stopped people, so we're totally going <laughs> to hunt down and just keep in touch with you. Um, but like those that those twenty kids that you were talking about in front of Tennessee legislature, where. 30% of them were able to move on. We know that, you know, in a couple of years, that gap is going to be narrowed to mm-hmm. all of them. All 20 will be moving forward, you know, readers, leaders, writers, thinkers. And we can't, we just can't wait to hear um, all that, you know, you have to share the next time we talk to you. And, and we're so grateful for today. Thank you for everything that you're doing for your students yeah. and your teachers yeah. and everyone. I'm so grateful for you, too, and I'm so grateful that you're also um, casting your stones into the pond and watching the ripple. The ripple is, <laughs> is, is, is making change. So Love thank it. you, too. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you.